A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello? Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. On this episode of the Booze Hustle, we talked to Jill Coxon, veteran bartender of over 20 years and co developer of several successful and critically acclaimed cocktail bars in Nebraska and Missouri. While her cocktail programs may seem intricate, her ethos is really simple. You don't have to do everything, you just have to do things well. She's an outspoken force in the industry. You can find her Hospitality 101 videos on Instagram, where she shares her views on how to be a good steward of the industry. In a sea of beverage programs, I think one of the reasons that Jill is successful is how true she remains to herself. I think people are really yearning for authenticity and, you know, just things that are real. We talked about a lot of things in our interview, but I think one of the things that resonated with me most, which seems like a simple concept, but is actually probably one of the hardest to execute, is the notion that in your establishment, you treat someone the way you would treat them in your home, and that the expectation for good behavior should really run both ways between the establishment and the guest. Jill's really a breath of fresh air in our industry, especially when everything seems to be obsessed with bigger and better and more. She's truly just a cool chick. I hope you enjoy the episode. I know this is going to sound really weird, but I feel like I know you, but I don't know you. I don't know if you have people in your orbit that are like that for you, but I think because I worked in the restaurant industry in Chicago for a really long time. Um, and then I moved back to the East Coast about 11 years ago. And I think there's people in your orbit that were also in my orbit. So I feel like for some reason, I know you. I don't know. It's weird. And you know what's interesting is that there's people out here on the East Coast that know you too. I mean, because like, you know, you're a badass. So people know who you are. But for some reason, I think social media also makes us feel like we know people that we don't. <laughs> yeah, we, we might have. Always, and also, I, I think maybe... We, we, I maybe came in contact first around the time when we were launching the Tonic Company. And I want to say maybe there yes. was something, yeah, it was something about that. Yeah, maybe when I, because I've been in supply distribution so side now for a while. And I think, yeah, whatever it is. I don't know. Well, it's nice to like actually meet you in real life. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a big fan of yours. Um, I, I try really hard for the sake of the podcast to not sound like a moron when I'm talking to people that I admire, but I do admire you. I uh, have followed your career for a while. Um, I think you're a badass. I don't know how you do yeah. it being a mom and a business owner. Do you sleep ever? Uh, this is probably the worst, the, one of the worst days to ask me that question because last <laughs> night, no, I, I, I closed the bar last night and then I had to be up and, and meet one of our ice machines went down. So I had to meet the tech first thing this morning. And so I laid in bed I was, I was so tired, but then I had all this anxiety that I was going to oversleep and not make the appointment. So I just like laid there and it was so infuriating and we've got dogs and it's just like, ah, um, (laughs) but, um, uh, luckily my kiddo is grown. So, um, he only calls when he needs money. And, um, (laughs) um, so it's, it's, I I don't, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm 
certainly uh, um, I feel for all parents in the industry whose children are younger because I remember those days and it's it's a lot, a lot, a lot. Um, and like I said, my, my kid is a, a grown up now and um, for the most part can uh, can handle his himself. So that's well, that's good. Silver lining. One except the money thing, part. Yeah. Yeah. Except the money. Yeah. Part. yeah. Um, so t- if you don't mind, will you tell our listeners a little bit? I mean, I do an intro to every episode, but if you don't mind telling listeners a little bit about yourself, like who you are, where you live, give them the, the quick sound bite. Yeah. So uh, basically, I started out in the industry probably like a lot of other people do. It was a, it was thought to be a means to an end through college. You know, it was a way to make you know more money on a shift so that I would still have time to study and go to class. Um, and coming from retail, it was a huge jump, you know, and it, and it helped me tremendously. And so, you know, but, but I, I fell in love with it, you know, and then after about, I was about a year into grad school and I was not pursuing, um, practical things, my, my undergrad and some grad schools in philosophy. So, um, <laughs> there, there's nothing to do with that, by the way, read for free at the bookstore. Um, <laughs> so yeah, so I just, I realized I had to cut my losses and luckily my, I think my career coincided with a really interesting movement in our industry is, you know, we started, we came back to that second golden age of cocktails. You know, the internet was coming on board. People were becoming more educated about the products they were consuming. Um, it became, easier to interact with guests in a more, um, you know, quality driven way, um, as opposed to just like, here's your seventh Jaeger bomb, have fun with that stranger you just met, you know, <laughs> um, you know, it's like, I, 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 at some point, you know, I, I came from volume. And so I have, I certainly have stories of the trench warfare. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm so glad that the industry has taken some of the changes and turns that it has, because um, I don't think I could be a part of, of what it used to be. Mm. Um, and I'm, I'm proud to be a part of, I think, what it can become. Yeah. So, oh, I was a bartender in the uh, let's see, early two thousand. So, I was, yep. I was yep. a big part of the shit show. Yep. I will say though, because your background being, you know, philosophy is what you studied in school. I think that's very much informs your career today. Just because I've, you know, I've in my research on you and like seeing some of your like videos of you speaking and everything. It's really apparent to me in this <laughs> like controversial statement. I guess it's not a controversial statement, but like. I find that smart people tend to need less things. They need less things in their lives. They're not obsessed with consumerism and and all this shit that they don't need. And that's very true that like the smarter a person is or the more intellectual a person is, it really like informs their decisions and like your career path and every like I guess the like some of the ethos of the the establishments that you open, it's it's like you don't need to have everything. You just need to do something really well and have integrity. A hundred percent. You know, and that's something I tell my kiddo every day. You know, when we talk, it's that, you know, the key to being happy is not, you know, you have to define success for yourself and wanting less is certainly a critical component in my opinion. You know, it's, it's a, you know, things have never made me happy. Um, and it's, you know, I, I, I wish I, my, my parents probably wish I was a little more financially motivated. Money's never really made me happy. You know, I, I just, I, um, I was like the golden child that didn't, I was supposed to go to law school or med school, you know, and then I just, you know, philosophy. Um, but you know, I I think it's true. I think that less is more. And I think hospitality, I don't know, my, my more recent, um, kind of thought process has been on where in the spectrum hospitality falls between service and theater. Mm. Um, that's been a big, um, you know, and so the, yeah, the philosophy does, uh, come into 
come into play. I think, you know, I get a lot, of, I, I, do, I do a lot of backtracking through things like, you know, uh, um, Aristotle's virtue between vices, you know, is hospitality the, the, the virtue between the vice of, of you know, of service and in theater in, in the sense of being irreverent of the guest experience and having it just be about a show that I'm putting on, you know? Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I, I think the philosophy, does, it, it has come full circle for me. And I, and I do think that I, I implement a lot of my studies, my philosophy studies. I just, again, I wish, I wish I had done it for free. You know, I wish I had sat at the bookstore and, you know, didn't dig myself <laughs> into the depth that I dug myself into, but same. Yeah, you know, you know, I mean, I, I have a journalism degree that I'm clearly not using, except in my free time for this podcast. Yeah, you are, yeah, you are using it. What are you talking about? Yeah, you know, I'm not getting paid for it, but I mean, yeah, you know, well, whatever. <laughs> um, well, that's really, I, I find that to be really interesting, especially because, you know, like one of the things I most um, respond to in, I guess, you know, um, a lot of your interviews about your bar program where you're not there to make everybody happy and you're going to be you know that it's not this this fucking customers always right bullshit which is no that not everything needs to be for everyone that's why we need to have less giant like homogenized things and more small interesting things that speak to different people and I think that's something you do really well and that's really interesting when you put it in the framework of like a philosophical angle and, and theater, it's like instead of trying to create this experience that's specifically for the guest, you're creating this experience that the guest can enjoy or not. <laughs> like, Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and, and I'm, and I'm very, you know, I, I have to remind, you know, even amongst ourselves and the staff, we talk a lot about how our industry needs to take some things on the chin. You know, we created that monster. Yep. Um, so uh, we now, you know, putting the monster back in the box is, is a, is going to take some time and some retraining and some, a lot of, you know, hard conversations. And I mean, yeah, it's, it's, a. Uh, sometimes I'm appalled, you know, I, I mean, I, 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 I've gone past the point of being upset with individual people. Um, I, I, I get very intrigued when people do things. I'm like, I want to meet your mom. I want to meet, <laughs> I want to meet who raised you. Like, how did you turn out this way? It's so fascinating. Like, how have you lived this long? How, how, how has no one ever punched you in the face in a dark alley? Like, um, like, um, I, you know, it's like, I'm, I'm more fascinated by human behavior, I think. So I think that's where the younger kids that still have the angst, you know, and still get really upset about things. I'm like, man, there's a whole next level of fascination that awaits you, you know, where it's just yeah. like, I don't, I, I recognize when things fall on, on the guest side of the line. And it's not, you know, it's not going to ruin my day. I'm going to do my best to, to have someone have a great time in my home, but it is my home and I'm going to, and I'm going to protect the boundaries of my home for, you know, the staff and the other guests for sure. Just like you would at a house party. I say that all the time. You know, it's, it's interesting. I remember like in the two thousands, like that decade when I was bartending in Chicago, I was always the person who would shut down the shit at the bar when someone would say, nobody talks religion or politics at the bar. I'd be like, a hell no. Listen, like, you know what a bar started out as? It is a place of community in a in a town where people went to share their ideas and discuss things. Like the bar room is where that shit happened. And everyone Absolutely. is so siloed now in their own opinion and viewpoint spit back into them 24 hours a day that if we're not in a public place having these conversations they don't happen so I shut that shit down I, I'm just like you can talk about whatever you want as long as you're using a respectful tone and as long as you know that if I disagree with you I'm not going to coddle you <laughs> like 
Yeah, yeah, 100%. I mean, I agree with that 100%. You know, that's been another huge uh, point of interest for me lately is focusing back on that ground zero of hospitality, you know, and, it, and oftentimes the bar rooms, you know, the, the, you know, the, the saloon was one of four buildings built at the beginning of every town, you know, it was, mm-hmm. you know, the, the general store, you know, the, the, the jail, the brothel slash hotel and the bar, you know, like that mm-hmm. was the, that was, that was it. And, and I agree that hospitality can have a role in the repair zone of, the division in our country right now, you know, I mean, I, so it's funny because I, I get into these nuanced conversations sometimes even with investors about the risk, you know, of like, oh, well, you know, you make it sound like you don't want conservative people. Look, I, every person is welcome. I'm not going to allow you to make someone else feel unsafe. But if we can have dignified conversation about points of view, um, I think oftentimes we find that we have so much more in common and that usually our points of difference are the result of not agreeing on definitions of terms before conversations start. Mm -hmm. You know, I remember a classic example I like to use is I'm embarrassed at how long it took me to fully understand the more academic definition, the true definition of the word privilege. I grew up in a tiny little farm town. Everyone was white, identified as Christian. And if you weren't straight, you shut up about it or got out. You know, that was like, it was, it was a, and so everyone was the same. And so the only differentiator was money. So I grew up believing firmly in my personal vocabulary that privileged meant wealthy. Mm-hmm. Start telling people that they're privileged, you start off talking past each other and you can't even have a conversation. Mm-hmm. So I think just, you know, having an area that protects, hey, let's define terms. Let's, you know, let's talk about how you're defining those terms. And maybe we'll discover that we don't actually disagree. We just aren't disagreeing on, on the definitions of the terms we're using. And I think a bar can be a place for that. You know, sure. it can be a place where you find out that, gay and brown and queer people aren't scary you know mm-hmm. like they're it's like you know they're they're just like everybody else you know so yeah i really push back on this idea that like when you go out it's supposed to be this like safe space it's like a break from all the shit it's like no every you have a break from everything all day you stare at your fucking phone that's your break like <laughs> you're you're yeah. plugging into something not having any like conversations with another human being like that's your break. I don't know. I push back against that for sure. I wanted to ask you a question about because you're, uh, you know, you do have um, a stance in the industry that like um, you're, you're, you have a very clear vision and ethos for your brand, right? Like your, your bars and what you want them to be. And you're a hospitality consultant. And the corporate world typically does not really embrace people that have strong opinions one way or the other, right? Because like money. Um, how do you navigate <laughs> how do you navigate the lines between like you know like link your LinkedIn version of Jill and then the fucking reality you know I'm, I'm pretty you know and it's funny even when I'm really blunt you know it's so funny we had a, a, more, a recent project that there's definitely that there there have been some schisms in you know, brand development, especially when you're developing alongside a corporate partner. And, you know, there's, and I'm, I'm very, you know, I'm, I'm very upfront in the very beginning. I'm like, look, this is who I am. I'm not deviating. I'm not, I'm not going to give you Jill Light, you know, for your project. You know, <laughs> this is what you get when you get me, you know, and I might, again, like just the same as my bars, I might not be for you. I might not be your jam. But don't start this project thinking that you're going to change my mind or get us to operate differently than we operate. Mm-hmm. I, you know, and I, I have no desire, you know, because it would just, it would devalue everything that I do to, mm-hmm. you know, it, it would make me such bullshit if I, if, if like over here to like appease this corporate brand, you know, we, 
you know, like one of our things that you, know, you, you probably know is we, we, I don't allow Trump wear in the bar. It's not about Republican or Democrat. I view that campaign as hateful as a swastika, yeah. you know, and for the same reason that I wouldn't let someone in wearing that type of apparel. Um, I, I, I'm not going to allow you to campaign for something hateful and divisive in our spaces. And, you know, I, I've definitely had, you know, I mean, I've had, yeah, I've had some surreal conversations with people who there's no, there's no easy way to say that. Like there, there's, there's a reason that, that those guys got to where they are, you know, they don't care about people. And, and there is such a miss, in, you know, with those people in hospitality, hospitality is about people. You can't transfer the bulk of what hospitality really is to a spreadsheet in any real way. And so typically what you deal with in, in upper corporate um, structures is spreadsheet jockeys. And they try to quantify everything and they try to make that turn everything into, I mean, I used to work for, for Gallup and it's, it's so funny because I don't think people realize the, the true cost of getting data that's actually worth a shit, like these stupid surveys you see on your phone or even a paper survey at a bar or, I mean, review platforms, a one-star review could mean everything from, yeah, the guy's wife filed for divorce today. He's just pissed, you know, like, you know, to, you know, like, yeah, he actually had a shitty experience that was valid, but he didn't say anything. You know, like, like there's there's no way to, to like, none of those, none of the, the information that you get from those platforms is worthy of an active response unless it's it becomes a trend. Like, oh, I'm seeing tons of one-star reviews over this one issue. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've seen it from every angle. I, I've got I've got an approach to do drinks for like test menus for corporate chains. And it's apparent to me that nobody in that chain structure of that corporate restaurant even knows how like how to sell the products they have. I mean, it's like, it, I mean, and then, and going back to, you know, when I said, I, you know, I worked for Gallup, you know, I mean, for just, and I just doing surveys, I didn't do anything important, but it gave me an insight. And I had friends that worked higher up and when you know how much it costs a company, like real money to hone in on a specific variable, you know, a company will come to them and say, we want to, we want to hone in on this particular variable. We want to know what our consumers think about it. The way that you have to structure that in a survey that sounds so redundant, it's almost annoying. There's actually an art to writing the survey so that the customer doesn't feel like they're answering the same question over and over and over again to the point of annoyance. Because you have to eliminate all the nuance interpretation of the question. Mm -hmm. So you could literally spend, you know, $100,000 as a company on a survey that just answers one question, you know, <laughs> holistically. And I'm like, so this, this obsession that people have with, you know, like data that is loosely collected, that really means nothing, you know, yeah, I'd rather focus all of my energy. Like I can either focus my energy on answering Yelp reviews all day long, or I can focus my energy on making sure that every guest that walks through the door has the experience I want them to have. And if we failed, then that's on us. But if it wasn't for them, then like, I'm, I don't, that's, that's okay. Like, I mean, I'm not going to be for everybody. Yeah. Yeah. There's that, that's the thing is there's enough for other people to do that we don't have to like, I don't know when this thing happened where everyone feels like they have to like have this mind altering experience everywhere they go. Sometimes a burger place is just a burger place. Like, you know what I mean? Like not everything needs to have a Michelin star, you know, sometimes the experience is the people that you're with. Like I'd sometimes rather have like, you know, a mediocre beer and a mediocre burger with some good friends and some somewhere cool. It doesn't matter. You know what I mean? Like it's the experience that we're looking for sometimes 
Um, the product, it's nice that the product is good too, but, but you know, like it doesn't have to be everything all the time. 100%. Yeah. And you know, and honestly, that's, and that is, I'll say the upside of our industry right now is there's so many wonderful uh, products and boutique products coming up. There's, there is not one single product on the market. Can't have a bar without it. I mean, there's not one. I mean, I think during, you know, I, I probably started at the same time you did late, late nineties, early two thousands. Um, I started bartending and back then there were certain brands that there was just, there's just the idea. And today it's still lingering around. Well, you can't have a bar without X, Y, and Z products. Mm-hmm. None of my bars carry those products. Like, I mean, like, you know, you, you have an opportunity to talk, you know, uh, to, to guests and, and educate them about, um, you know, in a fun way about like, Hey, if you like that, you should try this. You know, I think you'll like it. It's and, and maybe give them a little bit of, you know, uh, just something new to try, um, mm-hmm. a new experience. Yeah, there's there's not a single product that I'm beholden to, you know, as 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 an owner. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about that because I know that um, with the overturning of Roe versus Wade, you took a pretty um, big stance against like the distributors in your state, the people that weren't being vocal about supporting or not supporting. How how did all that shake out? It was a little while ago, but how did how how did that struggle? Are you still in the we, midst We've of definitely it? <laughs> made adjustments and we're, and we're still, we're still like little by little, you know, I just basically sent a message. There were some distributors I totally cut ties with. Um, there were others that I basically said, you know, Hey, for now you kind of got me in a pinch and you know it, but just be aware. I'm not going to be picking up any new products. Don't waste your time calling me with new products. I'm not interested in new products from you. And as soon as I can find replacements for the ones that I have, you're gone. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been very transparent with them about that. I'm happy to support our smaller distributors in our market. There's some really interesting products coming online that I think are better served um, in some markets by this, the more boutique distri- distributors. I mean, and that's, you know, I mean, there's this good on both sides. You know, I mean, I understand why big brands choose the bigger distributors because they have the larger reach and they have a, um, you know, uh, a, a much better opportunity of, of, you know, serving accounts nationwide. But I think boutique shops work harder if- and there's some really great, wonderful products that can help us as a brand differentiate ourselves as well. So sure, yeah. And I think like one of the, the the biggest elements of this whole thing is that not everyone is a Jill, and like a lot of places maybe don't have the people that can speak to the boutique products, and that's why they end up doing all the mainstream stuff because like then they don't actually have to have a conversation beyond the skill level of the people. Um, and I think there isn't enough emphasis on education now what's your approach towards educating your team well and you, you just nailed it because you know you're, you're right you know i mean the the big brands that we all know you know when places rely on those brands you know those brands put a lot of money into advertising those products you know on every billboard and every magazine on you know on all the social media platforms you you know they have the money to do that and so that can offset basically a non-existent or just, you know, lazy training program or a lack of a training program. Mm-hmm. Um, if you don't want to train your staff, you sure, you know, then line the back of your bar. I don't want to name any products, you know, <laughs> specifically in here, cause I'm not trying to talk shit, but it's like, we all know what they are. You know, I mean, line the back of your bar with all that shit and it'll sell itself because people recognize it and it's easier. It's easier to do that. And, mm-hmm. and, um, and I get it. We are lucky that we have a very small staff. I mean, and, and again, I think all this hinges on, small comes with some liberties. You know, I couldn't do what I do if I were trying to run a 500 seat, you know, restaurant or giant bar when volume is the name of the game, you know, you can't afford to do what I do. We're, we're small enough that we can pick, handpick what people we want working for us, you know, so we're going to pick the people that 
we know are actually interested in what they do and they're they're excited to learn things and to pass things on. But also with temperance, you know, I, I get annoyed at the bartender that just drones on and on about the history of mezcal or bourbon <laughs> when the guest clearly doesn't give a shit. It's like, please, please stop, you know, um, like Sometimes it's our job to shut the fuck up, you know, <laughs> sir. You're not on drink masters. Just make me my drink. <laughs> you know, what's you know, what's so funny is like, and I, 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 I believe that I saw like a few years back, like it, it wasn't like obviously like an official invite, but it was something about drink masters coming up. And I was like, man, I don't need any help. I don't need any editing floor help making myself look like an asshole. Like I <laughs> hell no, I would never. <laughs> I'm like, bless the people that were brave enough to trust editors yeah. with, with with their their brand. And I think they did a great job. It was a great, it, it, they did a really good job. And I was like, I don't, I don't need any help looking like an asshole, guys. I do that all on my own. I know. And you know, that the, the show itself is like very unrealistic to like real bartending. I mean, it's like, it's like a culinary skill. I, I interviewed, um you know, Dale DeGroff. He was on, um it was the first episode of this season. Oh, yeah. And we were talking about his time judging and uh, and he's just like, yeah, you get ninety minutes to make a cocktail in a full kitchen full of shit. He's like, that's that's not realistic. Like, it's not, you know, what they're doing is like another level. It's like, you know, um, what's the word? Uh, I don't know. It's 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 not normal bar bar drinking. <laughs> to your point about the the competitions, I mean, like, you know, and don't get me wrong, like I I probably shouldn't say this. I don't know. Maybe I will. You can edit it out if you want. Um, <laughs> So I did world class twice. I'm pretty sure that I was just kind of a token female presence. You know, there was mm. I, about about the year that I there was two years in a row that I was quote unquote selected as a regional finalist, and it was about the time they jumped it from ten to fifteen, and it just so happened about five were women. I'm like, cool. And don't get me wrong, I have never gone into any competition with any delusion of winning because I am not a good competition bartender. I I am not. It's not my skill set. It's not my wheelhouse. I have flipped the script a little bit and used almost every competition travel opportunity for networking because that's, you know, like if, if they're kind of using us so we can use them in reverse. Mm -hmm. The second year I did world-class, I didn't even try my drinks until the day I got there. Like that is a terrible admission to make. And I just, I, I, I so zero care about competitions and because they're not realistic. They're not the job. Um, I, I think most of the time, they're more like casting calls. And I believe that the company kind of has an idea of who they're looking for as their poster child before it even starts. Mm -hmm. I wish they were a little more honest about that. Mm -hmm. um, but but I've always used those travel opportunities as an opportunity to network. So I have, I have gotten something out of them. I can't deny that. And mm -hmm. that's something I encourage all people in the industry to do is, you know, network yourself and network yourself professionally. You know, I mean, I've seen people burn so many bridges on Facebook threads, just being absent. I'm like, oh my God, or, or even even worse in public, we're like, great, we came to this national event. You flew halfway across the country and you're standing in a room with people who could change your career path tomorrow mm -hmm. and you're just wasted. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, I, you know, I, I have never understood that. I mean, I've always worked really hard to use the the travel opportunities to network professionally. Um, mm -hmm. And that's something I, if there's any advice I could give to those people like, yep, that free trip you get, don't, don't waste it being, you know, don't go to the camps and the whatever and just be drunk for a week, right. you know, you know, network and, 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 and act like you have, you know, oh, we have a real job. So act like it, act like you have a real job. 
Yeah. <laughs> you want to, you want everyone to believe that you have a real job. So act like it's a real job. Yeah. I, I, I feel like my industry is, is like that too. The other day we did a training, um, a uh, whole bunch of us, like a regional training, and we were doing competitive set tastings, and me and my colleague do education. And then we gave them a two-hour break, and I had to say, hey, guys, behave yourselves. It's a marathon, not a sprint. We're meeting at six. We're doing another, like, tasting training. Like, please behave yourselves. And I was like, what other job <laughs> would have to tell their employees, the employees of the company, please don't get drunk? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, In the middle of the day. <laughs> And again, you know, it's like, that's something that, you know, I keep saying that, you know, there's so many things that we as an industry need to take on the chin that, you know, we're, right now we're in this kind of passive aggressive phase where, you know, we, we want to, we want to be able to tell people that we, we are professionals. We do have a real job. We're on a career path, mm -hmm. but we still want to hold on to this like kind of binky of <laughs> being able to behave however we want to be and not being responsible. And, you know, like, I mean, it's, and not putting a, you know, our shoulder into, you know, taking our job seriously. And, you know, it's like when you think of the fact that there's no barrier to entry in our industry in the same way that there is to literally every other career path. I mean, mm -hmm. you're not required to invest in a degree or tools. You know, most tradespeople need to invest in tools, you know, they or a wardrobe or, you know, I mean, there's and I think that's a, I think some of that problem is starting to reveal itself now, you know, where people talk about unions and it's like, well, I'm a fan of the idea of a union down the road, but we need to work to create structure and training in our industry mm -hmm. so that people are actually bringing real value. I mean, the, you know, the, the entry level apprentice carpenter is not an asset to his company. He's a liability. Mm -hmm. And yeah. in the same way, I, I've seen young bartenders do more brand damage for themselves and the place they're working by just the shit that comes out of their mouth, mm -hmm. you know? And I'm like, so becoming more hyper aware of the holistic skill set. No, it's not just how many bourbon facts you can memorize or the fact that you have the canon of classic cocktails memorized. Do you have a hospitality skill set to step into a business and be an asset to that business? Mm -hmm. And that's a much bigger question. And I don't think most people in our industry are prepared to really understand what that looks like in total. I know. And it's it's such a problem now because people don't have as much time for training and education as, as you know, pre-COVID. I think we were even stretched than then. And now I think one of the, the things I see, especially in, in the hospitality industry, is that there just aren't enough people to, to be on the floor, much less to train the new people. And so then you have this like a bunch of new people who don't necessarily know what they're doing so you're 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 absolutely right it's uh it's tough um i love your hospitality 101 videos that you do on on instagram um i highly recommend if uh the listeners check them out they're they're great um and i don't know what the answer is like what like what is the answer to getting getting people shored up and trained you know yeah. And, you know, that, and that is, again, that's, that's another area, you know, our industry has failed at, you know, we've all heard the stories or even experienced the situation where, oh, you know, you're a great server. Do you want to be a bartender or you're a great bartender? Do you want to be the manager? It's like, well, well, where did you learn how to do the skill set of the thing above you? Mm -hmm. You know, just because you might be the, and you might be the best bartender in the world and you could be a shitty manager because those mm -hmm. are two different skill sets. 
And That's why there's a lot of shitty so, managers. <laughs> oh yeah. Uh-huh. And like, and half the time people learn how to do shit the wrong way because they've learned from all the wrong people. And so we're, you know, and, and, you know, I keep saying that our, our, our industry kind of needs relationship therapy. You know, I feel like <laughs> management and owners is, is kind of in this almost like couples therapy counseling with staff and, and there's, and there's valid complaints on both sides. You know, it's this, well, you know, why should I work harder? Because I don't get paid. I don't make enough money. And then the flip side is, well, you know, you could make more money if you worked harder. It's that mm-hmm. age old, you know, and, and you, you know, it's, it, where do we start the repair? Um, and I think that that's a really, you know, pressing question for our industry and it's going to be slightly different in every, you know, in every business model. But I definitely think it's, it's I think it starts with the owner operators. Cause you know, as I think, I think we have to put our foot forward first to make the corrections we need to make. Mm-hmm. But then employees also have to, you know, grow up and realize, yeah, if this is a real career path where you're making good money with benefits um, and, you know, you're going to be held accountable for showing up to work every day on time, sober, you know, and not bringing your shitty attitude or your drama from home with you. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's like there's. Yeah, I mean, like there's there's just a dance that's going on right now, and I think we'll get there, you know. Yeah. And I think it's also from the owner operator standpoint, there's so much hesitation to really invest in the education that people need because, you know, it it tends to be in in some places a more transient career for people like trying it on for size and it's like, well, I'm going to invest all this money in like educating people and then they're going to leave. And but it's like I feel like you have to take that gamble. You have to hire smart and then you also have to offer enough to get the the good people. And I mean, it's apparent. Like if you go to a, a town, like I live in the woods in the middle of the Northeast, and there are like the best places have the best people for a reason. Like everywhere else, it's like slim pickings and they're complaining they can't get good people. But it's like, well, why can't you get good people? Because the best restaurant in the state, their people are the A team. And it's not because you know, it's a cool place to work. It's because they're doing it right. And they're, you know, they're appealing to the best of the best. They make good money. Yes. But there's also opportunity for them. Um, Absolutely. Chicken or the egg, you know? Yeah. A hundred percent, you know, and and that's a, that's a really good point, you know, and and lately lately I've said that, you know, there's the high, also the higher up, you know, the, the, uh, you know, ladder you go and everybody gets to pick, you know, if if you want to work at a dive bar and that's your jam, that's awesome. There's nothing wrong with that. But if you want to work at a, ta- you know, a tasting menu where, you know, the average plate is $300 or higher, you know, there is no margin for error. And so mm-hmm. I, I laugh when I hear people say like, oh, so-and-so, they're assholes to work for. I'm like, are they assholes to work for? Or do they just understand their brand and know that there is no margin for error and you might not have what it takes? Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, like, 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 you know, they, when they're charging their guests a price point for something, like they're, they're just, there is no, like, there's no drop in the ball. I mean, the perception of value is, is, is razor thin. You know, you, you screw up one thing and suddenly that $300 meal is blown, you know? Yeah. So, so it's like, you know, I kind of laugh when it's like, you know, we all need to pick where we want to work and some people just don't want to work in those intense settings. And, you know, I, I, I do think that sometimes owners take a beating for like, Oh, that person's a bitch or that person's an asshole. It's like, or they just want to hold you to a standard and you don't, Hmm. You, you don't want to you don't want to commit to that which is also okay but then just know that's not the place you should be working you know True. <laughs> can you tell our listeners uh, i know we've been here for a while so i don't want to keep you too long i know you're a busy lady but um will you tell our listeners a little bit about your different establishments now and what you're working on yeah so um 
first venture in ownership, you know, was uh, the other room in Lincoln. It's, it will kind of always be my baby, you know, um, and partners were wonderful. Um, they're, they're, and it was kind of the dream team. I got to um, test a theory on somebody else's dime to kind of get this idea of, you know, kind of what I do now. I got, I got to develop the template um, for this style of service that is low overhead, intimate, quality focused, you know, everybody said it would never work, especially in Lincoln, Nebraska, we broke every rule, you know, there was no beer, there's no wine, there's no food, there's no catering to Husker football. Um, <laughs> and it was, and it was amazing. I mean, because, you know, and, and I tell people all the time, the real opportunity is in secondary and tertiary and smaller markets, because there's no overhead. You can be, you can be the only game in town, no competition, low rent, low overhead. Mm-hmm. Like that's a really great recipe to start a business with. Um, so, so that was, you know, the first, and then I, I, I was never going to be majority owner of that. So I ended up cashing out of what I own out of that to open Swordfish Toms in Kansas city, um, took everything I learned, you know, f- from that great experience there, um, and applied it to Swordfish Toms and, and realized that there's some replica, you know, replication potential. Then during the pandemic, we opened up drastic measures. Um, and, and my, Goal now is, you know, I've, I've kind of been on this path to help other people who want to make the step into ownership. Like, hey, I can give you the template. You know, this template is, is like I said, it's replicable within boundaries. You know, I can give you the armature to, to hang your sculpture on. The, the armature has to, there's certain th- rules about the armature that have to stay intact, but I want you to be able to make it yours. So this, the first experiment with that was Jay Sanders um, uh, opening up drastic measures in Shawnee, I connected the money partners. Um, they're wonderful people with somebody who I knew would would run it wonderfully for them. And Jay has done a tremendous job. And it's great because if you walk into Swordfish Toms or drastic measures, if you're paying attention to the right things, you know that we're sister establishments. You can see that we're operating on the same mm-hmm. you know, template. But but drastic measures is so Jay in personality, and you know, and I would say Swordfish is more me. And now Simone is our operating partner um, of a swordfish. Um, we're, we're showing her and her partner, Justin operates drastic also. So we're kind of starting this apprenticeship into ownership program where we can grow people with the structure they need to learn the back end, so that one of two things is going to happen. They're either going to make the jump into ownership with more experience and a little more confidence and a better, you know, more set up for success, mm-hmm. or they're going to say, I want nothing to do with ownership. This su- this sucks. I peeked behind the curtain. I want nothing to do with that, you know. <laughs> and either way, they win, you know. I mean, so um, so so far, and we and we just opened up Anna's place in Omaha. Same thing. My partner up there is Devin Munt. That one is uh, celebrates Anna Wilson, who is the pioneer dame of the red light district of Omaha. Mm-hmm. So it's it's very much um, invites you to have a conversation about the history of sex work and philanthropy in communities and how they don't have to be mutually exclusive. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, Anna Wilson was this incredible historical figure of Omaha. So yeah, it's, um, you know, and then Chartreuse Saloon is the outlier. Um, that one we're, we're still getting wheels on because it is the outlier. It's a different template, but it's more uh, upscale, best pool tables you can play pool on, seal tip mm-hmm. darts. We've got some nachos and hot dogs. So kind of a higher end dive bar, if you will. I hate that term, like <laughs> high end dive bar. It seems stupid, but um, <laughs> but you know, it's, it's, it's just quality driven, but more casual is what I should say. Sure. Um, well, I've never been, I mean, I've driven through like the Midwest and I've driven through like, but I've never like planted roots in like Omaha or Kansas City for any length of time. So I will make sure that um, if I am out that way again, I will come, I will come see you. <laughs> yeah, if- please send me a text. I, I operate in a five block radius. I never see outside of. So <laughs> please come to town and see me in my little tiny 
Yeah. And if you're ever well, in the Northeast, you let me know and I'll come meet you for a drink somewhere. <laughs> well, you know what's funny? I just, I just saw, um, I don't know if you've, if you've been on to um, Happy Hour History. I did an episode of that. And I, as we were talking, I just saw David Maine sent me something about maybe doing a screening in New York. Ooh. So um, I may, I'm like, now that when I get on the phone with you, I'm going to look into that. Like maybe That's I'll make cool. a reason to come to New York. Yeah. Cool. You let me know if you're coming up here. I would uh, totally meet you for drinks. <laughs> I appreciate your time. And like, and yeah, like I just, any opportunity there is to collaborate or make voices amplified, like, let's do that. Yeah, for sure. And um, maybe we'll have you on in the future and, like, um, maybe we'll do, like, an in-person. If I'm ever there, I'll bring my, my equipment and we'll have a drink together and, and talk shit. <laughs> well, maybe. I mean, And if you want, I mean, like, if I end up coming to that screening, you know, like, I don't know, maybe, maybe I can come to you. So, Ooh. Um, yeah. Oh, I'd, that, come, I'd, I'd come to New York for that. I'd, I would come for sure. I got I got people there. I know people. <laughs> I know people. Right on. One yeah. or two. Yeah, awesome. um, well, you're awesome, Jill. Thank you so much for making the time. I know you're very busy, um, but I appreciate you. And um, yeah, you're great. Hey, thanks so much. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I love everything you're doing. And so just uh, keep it up and like, yeah, let, let me know if I can help in the future. up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week kiki palmer here and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free hello fresh jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi now that's music to my mouth hello fresh let's get this dinner party started discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program.